Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting once more uh, here on the program. And of course, we're always available right there in your pocket via the podcast feed. You can find Consumer Choice Radio basically anywhere. Uh, but if you're listening live on the radio, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on Saga 960 AM or on Coastal Carolina Network, we do welcome you. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting from the Carolina studio this week once more. And I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement. In Toronto, David, how goes it there in a brand new up zone to Toronto? It's going, it's going. Yeah, big, uh, big story out of Toronto legalizing uh, duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, basically on um, all city or all residentially zoned land. So that's a big, uh, big move to address housing affordability and all the craziness that's going on there. So uh, very good start. I can say I am pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and it's something that you've been uh, obsessed with for a while, right? <laughs> trying to trying to get some new uh, new housing uh, regulations uh, right there in uh, the province of Ontario, and it happened right there in uh, the, the grand yeah. municipality of of Toronto. So, how how did this um, play out? What exactly were the the sort of uh, what was the movement to get this newly upzoned thing uh, going? Um, I think there was just a lot of pressure on city council to do something because the, I mean, the way it, so it's a home price problem, but really I think it's a, it's a renting problem because the supply is so low. The rental prices are crazy. Like I saw a video from yesterday of someone who's renting like, uh, essentially like an office den without a door for eight fifty a month. Um, like that's how bad it's getting in terms of rental prices. And so pretty much everyone across the board, I think it was an 18-7 vote, which is pretty, pretty concrete, um, to legalize the, the, the building of, of other units and to carve away at uh, single family zoning, which is great. Um, they got to do something about development fees now and lowering that so it's not so costly to build because that obviously artificially inflates uh, those prices. Um, but yeah, it's a really good first start. Yeah, I think that's excellent. And um, we actually saw some very good regulations that were just passed in a place you wouldn't think, the state of Montana. Uh, they actually became a Yimby state uh, full on. A lot of, of great work there done by the, uh, I believe it's the Frontier Institute. They've done some great stuff on that. We'll try to get yeah. um, Kendall on, who's the head of that, because I know they've been Working really hard uh, doing the scenes. They had a very interesting campaign. They say, uh, you know, don't let Montana become California. Uh, and they meant like yes. with bad housing regulations, which I found is. Yes, I like that. Very interesting. And um, Montana is I, growing, I, so it will be important. I think it was Montana where one of the state legislators was asked. He's like, yeah, but what about the character of the communities? And he's like, I don't care. That was his. He's like, I honestly, I just don't care. He's like, people are living in their cars. He's like, I just don't care. Mm. That's my response. <laughs> yeah, I did see one guy on on the tweeters uh, who unmasked. I think it was in New York or one certain area where uh, you have this some kind of proposed building. I don't know what they're trying to build, and uh, you just look at the the comments of the people who oppose it, and one of them is like some VP guy at the World Bank who's like head of inclusion or something like this. And he writes a thing. It's like, oh, no, it would be very bad for the character of the neighborhood. And there'd be a lot of uh, undesired uh, new 
you know, buildings and tenants and stuff. And it's like, whoa, all right, this really hits home. Yeah. Yeah, so be basically, you don't want to live near poor people, is what you're saying. Yeah, that's it. You <laughs> like, just admitted it. it. Yeah, there you go, World Bank. Thanks a lot. I mean, it's it's like when Tiff Macklin, uh, they were building a daycare in one of the very nice neighborhoods in Toronto. Um, as naturally one would want to do, right, build these daycare facilities in the communities who need them. Um, and there was a local group who opposed it and had a petition because oh, have, there could be traffic around drop-off and pickup times. I mean, how are we going to deal with that? Oh, good Lord. No, no jurisdiction and, deals with that. No. And Tiff Macklem actually signed the petition. It's like, my man, you, you, you're like, come on. Just nimbyism everywhere. Ugh. Nimbyism is on full. Um, I, I want to stay in our, our little consumer corner, David. And um, yep. we're going to go back and revisit something that early on was a trend in the pandemic, and that was uh, the at-home food deliveries. Yes. It's a very uh, popular thing to do, not just from the grocery stores, but also uh, restaurant outlets. And it was a necessary thing because many restaurants could not serve diners you know, actually yeah. there in their restaurants, and people were able to order. And in some places, some rules had to be relaxed to get alcoholic drinks or whatever, um, so let's, you know, let's take a little peek as to what's happening today um, as a little bit of consumer research, which is essentially my life. Uh, we ordered some food the other day, went to a friend's house. Uh, uh, I, I don't single out any individual app, but this happened to just be uh, DoorDash. And we've advocated, I'll be very clear, we've advocated for many of these technologies and platforms on behalf of consumers because they're awesome. Consumers like them. We like the ability to order food to our door, you know, not have to get into the car and drive and wait. And we have this brand new technology to do it. I think, um, I think the time is, is basically over for this, David. I think we've reached uh, the pinnacle. We've, we've reached the very top. I think it's plateaued. Um, it now costs an average of, let's say you're trying to just feed two people, you know, you're going to pay at least 55 bucks if you're trying to get stuff ordered. We now have taxes that have been applied at every level of this. We now have the uh, sort of fees. I mean, it's similar to Airbnb where you have the, the fees that are now applied. And uh, I guess the VC money is just looking for the return because these fees now are upwards of 20%. And your premium that you're paying for not going and picking up the food yourself, it's getting rather hefty. Uh, so I'll just say that my bill yeah. was uh, much larger than I expected. And then you got a tip on top of that. And then you don't even know if you're going to get the food or I always have an item missing. Um, my dad claims that's because they're eating the fries in the car. I don't know if that's true. Uh, <laughs> I think it's more a mix up with the with the restaurant. and They're just not getting the orders right. But I just wonder if we've plateaued with this. I don't know if your experience has been similar, um, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're reaching like the cost benefit analysis point where it's like, mm, is it worth the extra, let's say, 20 bucks? Or do I just go and get in the car and pick it up and call it in? Um, that seems to be the, uh, the, uh, the route we're going. Uh, we're getting very close to that. I would say the only exception to that is Domino's. Because their delivery system, well, they have their own fantastic. delivery people, right? Yeah, and they get their 
inhumanely fast. Um, my wife and I once did a, a test because she doesn't particularly like Domino's gluten-free pizza. So she ordered pizza from Pizza Pizza and I ordered pizza from Domino's and they're about the same distance. And the Domino's one showed up like 18 minutes quicker. Did you hit the button at the same uh, time and everything? Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a true test. And uh, <laughs> Domino, yeah, just uh, just a good, they just got a good process for the online orders and the delivery. And it's just, it's good. And you get pizza points. Oh, well, you're part of the you're part of the slave system now. They can uh, queue in. Uh, it reminds me, I went to this um, food stall establishment. It's in uh, downtown Charlotte, North Carolina. Yep. Nice place. It's got every restaurant you can imagine. Uh, but the place felt like a bit of a financial surveillance opticon. Uh, essentially, oh. you you go and you you drive into the lot, and uh, their big QR code stares at you. It's attached to all the telephone poles in the place, and it says, "Hey, go here to pay for parking." I'm like, okay, fine. That's simple enough. Go there, pay for parking. Uh, insert your license plate number. Okay, that's normal. I kind of do that. And it says, you drove into the lot 10 minutes ago. It's like, uh, uh, okay. It's like, enter your credit card and we'll charge you on your way out. I said, well, how do they know I'm on the way out? And I kind of peek over and there's like two huge cameras pointed at where, you know, essentially where the license plates are when people enter oh, and exit. Man. I'm like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Then I go inside, you go to the various food stalls. Um, I happened to had to get some fries for the kids, so went over to Harriet's Hamburgers. And, uh, you know, one guy just gets in front of me, and uh, the cashier's just like, oh, hi, can I have your phone number? I was like, whoa. No. All right, I guess they're... You give them the Austrian number, you're like, one, triple eight, seven, one, two, seven. <laughs> Not how it works, David. <laughs> but, uh, well, this is the guy in front of me, and the guy's like, oh, you know, 980, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, Mr. Williams. Yeah, yeah. We saw last time you got the uh, double hamburger with uh, two French fries and a side of ketchup. You know, would you like that same order again? He's like, oh, yeah, sure. He's like, all right, here we go. And we already have your credit card details. Just need you to swipe right here. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh... And then uh, basically you have it. So they have a complete order history tied to the phone number. And then they, you know, they asked the name. So I went up there and they asked my phone number. And I said, no. <laughs> And like, okay, that's cool. That's cool. We get it. And, uh, and you know, you know what they said when you said no? They said, okay, well, Mr. Sosky, well, yeah, <laughs> you right. were here before. <laughs> we saw your license plate. I mean, I'm going in, I think, with my sister's car. So hopefully they're not tying it with the DMV records. Uh, but then I, I just ordered and, you know, use my name is complicated enough. Yeah, else I just give them another name uh, and they do it. But uh, no cash accepted anywhere. No cash. Couldn't use any cash. Yeah. Um, I happen to have cash and wanted to use it, but couldn't. Uh, card only. Everything's pay pass. I mean, it's convenient. This is the thing. It's just we're, we're at this level, this nexus of convenience and this like weird. And look, I, I don't assume they're going to do anything bad with my information. They're really just going to get more hamburgers into my tummy, basically. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but who knows? They could be selling some of the data. And I think consumers should just at least be aware of that. And uh, I find that interesting. I, I don't know. I'm assuming it's the same right now in Ontario. The number of places accepting cash is just like it's getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, I would say so, especially for things that are pop up. Um, cash is very rare where it's just card, which I mean, it's one. it's like, yeah, it's OK. That's fine. There are some like benefits of that. But then at the same time, this doesn't necessarily apply to us. But there are some people whom 
cash means a little more to them um, by virtue of not, let, let's say, not having a credit card or not wanting to use a credit card because for a variety of reasons. Um, so, yeah, that kind of sucks. Doesn't necessarily apply to me, but I could see how it would be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of irritating uh, for a lot of debit cards, you know, still don't have pay pass. They don't have this like, you know, pay, pay to tap or whatever. I think well, only in the U.S. In Canada, they do. I mean, a lot of them do now. Yes. And uh, I think the Canadian yeah. one I had was uh, gee, that was more civilized. It's <laughs> probably 10 years ago. Yeah. And, and Canada is a bit more advanced with that. We'll, we'll admit to it. Uh, but I still get really weirded out by in the U.S. because it still happens. The we're going to take your credit card. And then bring you back the the receipt. I just just bring the thing to the table. Well, we it's changing. It's changing a bit. I've had that experience too. But it is true that some of the um, more traditional restaurants will take your card and go back to the back and I don't know buy everything on eBay with it or uh, <laughs> they'll do it. Uh, but yeah, mostly in Europe, they've gone to the model where they bring the machines uh, to the place. Um, actually. Because we're so reliant on these machines for payments, by the way, here's a positive, David. Um, not that I'm criticizing uh, the broader technology as one does, uh, but I went to the Dippin' Dots stand in the mall. Ooh. Turns out the machine was down, and uh, they don't uh, accept cash. So got a couple ice creams for free. So that's good. Nice. Well, that's good. That's a, that's a nice little silver lining. Nice little trade-off there instead of uh, having all I this like stuff. That. Yeah. What's what's your take? The only negative to the machine coming to the table is when the server doesn't go away. Oh, because the see the tip thing. Uh, well, you again, not go a problem away. in Europe because you're not tipping much. Um, yeah, it's, the way it works in Europe usually is you always have to round up, so you're kind of having to do the tip in your head. Uh, it doesn't ask you the percentage or anything like that. Yeah, whatever. I mean, look, they're already asking for tip when you get a you know, a Starbucks or an ice cream asking for 25% yeah, tip. So yeah. we're, we're kind of used to it now. Yeah. Well, and I've noticed, I've noticed now at restaurants that because they give you the default buttons, it's like, would you like to add a tip? And it, it used to be like 15, 18, 20%. And now it's like starting at 18 or 20%. And then you got to be, and this is even worse of the person standing next to you, yeah, but, like watching you do it. Cause then you got to be like, other yeah the numbers are getting higher and um I'll, I'll give kind of my case when we come back for uh, why i do hit that zero a lot of times but you guys keep listening to consumer choice radio yeah that's i'm, I'm one of those guys uh you keep listening to consumer choice radio we'll be right back after this and we're back here on consumer choice radio david i i left out a little tease there classic radio um about uh leaving a zero when it comes to the uh, the tips at the particular mostly the deli places or you know the place where you're just getting coffee something at the at the table so the reason i say that is having worked in the restaurant industry i'm sorry um being a hospitality professional um Ooh. you you know some of the jobs you work for tips that's mostly a server when you're uh, bringing the food to the table and all of that. And then you have those who are at the counter and you just, you know, whip up a salad or, you know, your cold stone. And it's just different. And the way that you're paid is either starting at a low number or whatever, but you get a fixed amount, an hourly wage versus a server where they do the uh, sort of dependent on tips and everything else. So if I know they're dependent on tips, I go, I go pretty high. I do say normally 18, 20% uh, to, for my working class friends and colleagues, because I was once one of them. 
and <laughs> I worked in that. But it is true that at any time I'm just picking something up and they're doing no extra work than their normal job, I'm not going to tip extra. Sorry. Yeah, the uh, the worst one I've seen is is you're at like the all-you-can-eat sushi place with the iPads where you're just ordering the food and it's just like brought to the table. Like there is no – it's delivered. It's not there – is, there is no service. And then you go to pay and they prompt you and the minimum is like the 18%. You're like, ooh. I mean I would do it for if it's a nice place like the sushi chef sometimes has a little um, box out or something if like the guy's an artiste. Sure, yeah. Uh, but yeah, 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 usually usually you're not. And this is the problem is that we've had the, at least in the US and Canada and some some of the British system essentially the the customer is subsidizing the operations of the restaurant. And the entire yeah. idea of tipping, you know, because we have it in the different languages. In French, it's pour boire, to drink. In uh, German, you say trinkel, drink money. The whole point was that usually you had the barman and he couldn't drink, but he was giving everybody else drinks. So they said, oh, here, here you go, Klaus. Here's a little bit of drink money. You know, when we're done and you've cleaned up, you know, use that and get yourself a drink. Now it's essentially this entirely consumer subsidized system of tips where people have in the law this ability to underpay people who serve in the expectation that we get tips. I would actually be very radical, David, and say that we kind of do away with that. I think this reliance on tips as a way of paying people out, it's great for restaurants. It keeps food cheap. I 100% agree, but it puts way too much onus on the consumer because you're, you're essentially not just you know a consumer or a patron at a restaurant. You know, you're kind of like you're you're going to be the person who decides whether this person eats cat food or normal food at the end. Yeah. Of the day. Well, yeah. And I think that some of it has to shift with things like minimum, like the culture on tipping has to shift with minimum wage laws. So you got a lot of jurisdictions where it's like 15, 17 dollar an hour minimum wage, which in, in some places can include servers. So it's not like they're making less than the hourly wage and the tips are designed to incentivize good service to cover the difference or surpass it. And so then you're like, well, the, the wages have gone up, the prices have gone up, but the tipping culture has not changed to adjust for any of that. Um, yeah, that, that I could see would be like a common, I mean, would that ever? I don't know. Are you ever going to get really get rid of tipping culture in North America? Probably They're not. trying. I mean, there are a couple of outlets that do that. Outlets. Sorry, this is this is how much I'm in media world. There's a couple of restaurants <laughs> and, and places that that do change that model, or they you know apply an automatic gratuity. Uh, I think the restaurants that just like pay your normal wage. I just think it makes more business sense and it makes it for a cleaner experience as a patron of a restaurant. Because I, 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 you just hate. You just had a big meal. You're full, and then you got to calculate how much. And you just this is not the standard. And and again, we have a good example because in Australia and in Europe and New Zealand, people just get paid a set wage, and then that's it. And if you want a tip, usually people round up or something else. Uh, but yeah, um, since we're handing out tips, yeah. David, um, I was wondering if you could give some tips uh, to. Uh, oh. It's like, where is he going? Uh, yeah. 
it's a well, it's it's kind of a strange world. It's a strange world out there. Wonder if you can give out some tips to this uh, brand new CNN host who is uh, newly battle scarred from her town hall with um, now Republican uh, presidential candidate and former president Donald Trump. Uh, this is the town hall that took place on CNN. Was that on Wednesday night? Is that right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, wondering if you tuned in your uh, your immediate thoughts and um, also was was watching this with my family. So I'll give uh, give the Osowski household take too. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a tech. It should be a textbook journalism course on on this type of interview um, for how problematic guests can just deceive their way through um, an interview because there was only so much cleaning up you can do, and it's only so much fact checking you can do in real time. Now, do I get why CNN did it? Yeah. Um, a bunch of people probably watched it. I think ratings were uh, up bought, a good amount. They, I think it was like their biggest primetime bump like ever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it's the Trump factor, right? They spent four years with the Trump cash cow of of <laughs> reporting every scandal. I mean, and there were a lot of them, every scandal. So CNN Town um, Hall drew so now, over 3.3 million viewers. I mean, those are Tucker numbers yeah. right there. Yeah, that's like that's impressive stuff. So I know why they did it, but I mean to expect Caitlin Collins to be able to fact check the president in real time, um, while also not having the interview completely go off the rails, like she attempted to do that on like the election results by saying like, "Well, they lost the court cases," and Trump's talking about, oh, "You just look at the cameras and all this stuff." It's like, okay, well. You have to make a choice there to either double down and be like, sorry, President, Mr. Trump, can you please address the fact that in court, everything you've said was disproven? There was no evidence of what you have continuously said. And just keep going back to it and eat up 30 minutes or you move on. And if you move on, then you look soft, which is what a lot of allegedly people at CNN were furious because they, she couldn't fact check the president enough in real time. Um, so it's, it's really like a, a textbook case of like the dangers of, of interviewing crazy people. Yeah. And it was, um, it was a bit tedious as well because, you know, Trump would go on a thing and the way that she would do her, uh, fact check, is um, she's like, well, uh, Mr. President, actually, that did not happen in this. But I want to ask you, and she would just like glide, glide over it. I would love to see, they should have taken like his his most outright um, fib, as it were. And I think they should have played it out, gone back and forth and see how far he would have gone. I think that would have exposed a lot. I know they wanted to cover a lot of areas and stuff, though. Yeah, I mean, all she would have had to do, I mean, it would have it would have really soured the interview and the flow of the interview and it would have avoided getting to other topics but she very easy could easily could have said mr president we are not going to talk about any of the other issues until you answer my question about losing those court cases because you can say that there are videos of ballot harvesting and stuffing and corruption and vote stealing and all of that but when tried in court those arguments lost every time. How do you address that? And then what's he going to say next? Well, the courts are like, where does that go? 
I think that probably serves the viewer better. Um, and it probably serves CNN better in the sense of like not seeming soft and just glossing over insanity. Uh, I mean, we saw this in, we see this on a lot of hot button issues where an outlet will take a chance on interviewing someone who is a Looney tune and the, the hosts just cannot keep up because there, there's so much nonsense that you have to spend too much of, of the interview mopping up the mess. And then you don't get to talk about the things that you want to talk about. Um, and yeah, just complicated. But I mean, for CNN, I get why they did it. I mean, and um, so we'll, we'll definitely again. give a, a shout out to uh, Caitlin Collins. I mean, she held her demeanor really well. Um, I mean, he called her a nasty oh, yeah, person. I mean, it went, I mean, that's kind of his go-to. You're a nasty person. For women, yeah. <laughs> he always de- The funny thing is, is that like, She's definitely not. Um, like she's pretty like. Well, it wasn't Don Lamont doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was pretty. Of all the people at CNN who have said some, whether true or not, some pretty like devastating things about Trump, um, she's probably the lowest on that list in terms of just like calling balls and strikes for the most part. Um, and yeah, I mean. Uh, I, kudos to her. Very quick, for, very quick thing. Attempt. I mentioned Don Lamont. That's obviously a way that Tucker <laughs> says the name. So I think this is a, a funny thing that happened the other day. Glenn Greenwald was on some TV show commenting on it. And like he, he in, in a serious face says, well, yeah, you had Don Lamont over there at CNN. So I think he never watched <laughs> CNN ever. And he just listened no. to Tucker about it. <laughs> but it's, it's very <laughs> funny that these kind of terms uh, creep in. But yes, uh, kudos to her. And another one, uh, since I've been watching um us tv here um face the nation cbs it's margaret brennan who's the host okay she is really good she's very sharp okay she understands the political process she's very good uh, both at dealing with democrats and republicans she was holding yeah. uh Mayarkas to account he's the department of homeland security about all this title yeah 12 yeah. uh immigration stuff um and she was she was pretty stern i thought she did a great job um yeah but yeah, great. Uh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, that's any of these are really good. And for the CNN thing, um, you know, obviously, uh, I was listening in with my family, and um, there's a lot of yelling at the screen. Um, <laughs> of course, uh, I thought there was really any good substance in terms of actual. If we're looking at the content, like policy wise, you know, the only things that were interesting is you said, "Oh, I would stop this Ukraine war," you know, within 24 hours. Um, okay, whatever. Uh, abortion, pretty mealy mouth. Um, that audience, though, uh, seemed like Trump land. I mean, I don't, I don't know what your thoughts yeah. were on that, but they were hooting and hollering with basically everything. I, I guess that's the one way they could do it. I don't know. I don't even know where it was. Uh, it was in New Hampshire. It was in New Hampshire, and it was with Republican voters. They pre-screened for Republican Ooh. voters. So that was the kind of kind of the point. Um, and I'm sure that was part of the only reason why they could get Trump to do it. Because if it was a sampling of the voting population, yeah, it was like you'd get California you'd, voters, Democrats. Yeah, yeah you would, you'd get people who would just boo him the whole time and he wouldn't be able to say anything. Um, I thought Anderson Cooper's response was actually pretty good because he did a video and he was like, look, I know you guys are mad. I know the president came on and basically spewed a bunch of lies. But 
if you think that only hearing people who you agree with is going to make this man go away, you're wrong. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. That's a good, good, to a go, good position. Paper. Yeah, there we go. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he said basically like if you think living in a silo and listening to only people you agree with is going to make Donald Trump go away – this man could be president again. Wow, this he's talking to the to the average CNN viewer there. I don't know. Way yeah. to go, Anderson. Which is pretty good. Cuz I mean there's a lot of people how, how how could they give this man a platform? It's like, well, good point, but he's also right now the front runner unless something magical happens uh to uh to stop him and Boy, Trump, Trump though, sometimes he had these zingers. He's like, well, why are my poll numbers even higher now? It's like, this guy is like, yeah. he's just hanging out on the wire waiting for these numbers to yeah. come in. Yeah, you know, He just says something goofy at some town hall in some small city. And he's like, well, obviously they love it because my numbers are up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The only other note I would say is like, if you're going to interview people who go off the rails like that, you have to be prepared as if you're going into a presidential debate where you know you know more about every detail and you've mapped out every response they could give you and you know every counter question down so that every question could be 30 45 minutes and you know every route um if you don't do that then you're caught on you're caught flat-footed it catches you off guard and it gets messy. It does get messy uh, indeed. We'll, we'll talk more about that and uh, some other topics here on Consumer Choice Radio. Stay tuned. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio going over a little bit of the, uh, the Trump town hall over there on uh, CNN. And uh, Dave, you had some good points there. Uh, I, again, I still think it was rather empty in terms of rhetoric, new policies, uh, really wasn't interesting. It really seems like he's kind of out of the loop with some of the you know news items and what's actually important to people. Um, specifically, when he talked about the economy, I mean, I, I'm obviously very partial to his answer. They, basically, the woman was asking, we have inflation, we have all of this, what would you do? Uh, his response was, drill, baby, drill. And uh, <laughs> a comment that my dad made is that, you know, You'd think he'd have a bit more forward thinking, but it was all about the past. It was all about, you know, this is what we did in the past and it was working. Well, you know, you need you need to come to the table with a new playbook because yeah. the Trump uh, plan in 2020, like the platform that the official Republican Party had was, yeah, yeah, just whatever we said last time, which... Yes, you know the things have changed a bit. Uh, the, things change every four years, and you kind of need to upgrade stuff. And I would, I'd probably venture a guess whenever the Republican uh, convention is going to happen, and uh, maybe David will try to fly in for that. Um, if they say Actually, that, yeah, if, that would... if they do the same thing and say whatever Trump said last time is our plank, um, there's some real problems here because there's a lot of new things that they could be doing that some smart people who are in center right Republican circles are saying. And if they don't embrace that and they just get on right back on the MAGA train, I mean, just the numbers are not yeah. in anyone's favor. Yeah. I mean, th there is an avenue here. If he could, if Trump could take some coaching and some lessons from where the non MAGA Republicans have been successful, like Youngkin and others. And then I, I, to be honest, I think that there's an avenue for him 
to be, this is crazy to say, to be the moderate on abortion in the Republican primary um, by not being, by not going the Florida route, not going some of the other kind of crazy state legislative uh, routes where they criminalize you if you cross state lines, they like all of those things. Like if he distances himself a little bit from what's gone on in Florida under DeSantis, that makes him a little less scary. Um, but then again, like I can the man be, he's, he's both uncoachable, but incredibly malleable, um, in terms of policy, depending on who he's talking to and what is what he thinks of that conversation at the time. Yeah. Um, I think with, uh, with his display, it, it seems like if anybody goes to, um, you know, secondhand shops, you know, you go to your, your goodwill, your, uh, value village, you know, you go to see the books or the records and you always see like 80 copies of the same thing. It's kind of what it yeah. felt like Trump. It's just like, all right, we got the same book in the bargain bin. You know, everybody's kind of read it. We've been through it. Nothing new, nothing interesting. There's, there's no sequel uh, as of yet. And I, I understand your point about being moderate, uh, particularly on the, the issue. He just seemed to really misunderstand it because she pretty asked, she asked clearly, there's a, an abortion ban nationwide. Would you sign it? Um, I could see he upset people by not really taking a stance either way and then just talking about judges and, oh, we have the great best judges, best judges ever. You know, this kind of, yeah. this kind of rhetoric, which, uh, sorry to say, but at some point, the Supreme Court's going to come down pretty hard on you, you know, with, with all kinds of yeah. different rules. Like, they're not beholden to you as an individual or a specific ideology. Um, so... No, I mean Gorsuch has has shown that pretty clearly. Um, he's ruled in ways in which the MAGA world would disapprove of so quite a bit. Did you get the Trump out of your system? Because I want to transition to one thing. Um, going off of one Ooh, of your yeah, tweets, yeah. Um, which I thought was Ooh, good. It's okay. a good. Uh, uh, we're going to make a, a good hop here. But mentioning the Supreme Court, uh, there's been a lot of rumblings oh, yeah. about um, Clarence Thomas, who's a Supreme Court justice. He yeah. happens to have a lot of rich buddies and hangs out at their place and, you know, is probably pretty close with them. And uh, a lot of people are upset that he has not disclosed uh, many of these uh, financial transactions or the fact that he stays at his buddy's lake Free house. Trip. Yeah, whatever it yeah. is. And I think there was something to where that he bought a property for cheap. I mean, yeah, it's kind of this Washington stuff. Uh, but you made a point of, uh, you know, for a lot of the Democrats who are upset about this, it's like, well, have you, have you looked up north to uh, to Trudeau? And um, his kind of trips yeah. with his uh, rich buddies. Uh, do you have any response to that, actually? Because I thought it was a very good point. And, uh, no, it landed mostly on deaf ears. Well, there you but go. it's true. Like the, the Democrats who are, let's say, rightfully upset about these weird um, things that are paid for for a Supreme Court judge by a Republican donor. It's like, dude, that was like last Wednesday. <laughs> in Canada where it's like, Oh yeah, the prime minister took a trip worth like 180 grand with a huge donor for the Trudeau foundation, which is embroiled in this China scandal. And it's like, I, all right, cool. Like we want some accountability here and, uh, and, and we're going to hold people's feet to the fire. But it, it, again, it's the, the liberal partisans in Canada, the really hard ones are just the other side of the coin from the MAGA world where 
they will justify anything. It doesn't matter. Um, it's depressing to see, but it's, I think that that's an accurate description. Um, I, th- I think that's a, it's a very good point. Um, I probably suggest you write about it at some point. I think it'd be kind of, yeah, I probably should. Cool. Cause, uh, I love, I love all of these parallels working out across the border and, you know, there's a couple pundits and such that, you know, float between Canadian and American worlds and they would kind of recognize yeah. that. But man, that's, uh, it's wild. I don't know what the policy should be. Like David, you've stayed at my lake house. You know, if, if you ever do something, should you, uh, it where's my, uh, should I send you an invoice or something? Is that how it works or? Well, no. So the thing is, is like, um, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of world leaders who just fly commercial. Yeah. It might be first class, which could be valid for security reasons. I mean, having the prime minister sit next to God knows who on a plane to, to Bermuda, I don't know, might not be the best idea. Um, but it's certainly a lot cheaper than gas up the private jet, have your buddy pay for it and pay for your accommodation and like all of this stuff. And it's like, just maybe don't like, maybe don't do that. I think uh, Um, I've had a great retort uh, there in the house of commons. He's, he was just talking about the carbon tax. He said, stop the jets. Ax the tax. <laughs> I thought it was like yeah, yeah. Stop the jets. I love that. And also, I I don't know. There's just like uh, as much as I understand, like yeah, the prime minister deserves a vacation. It is an incredibly difficult job. There are a variety of different options available to you that don't involve one of your close family friends with ties to the foundation in your father's name, which is embroiled in a foreign interference scandal cutting a check to cover the cost and it's like well just do i don't know do do what normal people do rent a cottage and just go chill for a week like but there's like there's the official like prime minister vacation home or something right or is that is there one of these it's got a cottage yeah but that's the official like owned by government of canada type thing right yeah yeah i forget the name of it but it's like i don't know go there we're like do something domestically and just like be boring. And it's like, yeah, do you want to cruise around the world and like do fun stuff? Yeah. But there's like, there's so many optics at play and I just can't believe, actually I used to say, I can't believe there's nobody in his office who says that this is a bad idea, but we got a leak the other day where someone anonymously leaked. I forget to which outlet, that was like, yeah, we all told him that this was a bad idea and that he shouldn't do it, and he did it anyway. Wow. Um, well, there you go. So it's – yeah. Sorry? I said, there we go. We've yeah. got the people so within. Someone's saying it. Yeah, someone is saying it, and someone's turned-ish. Uh, um, but yeah, it's just like, you know what? Maybe that's one of the downfalls of being prime minister is that you don't get to um, jet off to – Wherever. And what I really don't like is we all know what the prime minister's salary is. And for some of these, it's it would be if he was a private citizen, some of these trips and vacations are completely beyond his means. Right. It's not like he he got the, the suite at um, 
at the the at, at a particularly nice resort or the one in the uk costs, the one like, in the london the uk where it was like six thousand pounds a night or something yeah yeah and look like we all know what the prime minister makes we know what he pays in taxes we know what his take-home pay is someone in the private sector with that salary likely isn't spending 50 grand on a vacation. It's just not going to happen. It would be irresponsible. You wouldn't have the means to do everything else. And so it, that's where it also gets weird for me. Cause it's not just like, yeah, but you know what? That's, that is what someone who makes $300,000 a year could or would do. These are like, that's what Jeff Bezos does. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look, if, um, if Trudeau was going to these places and, um, you know, went to the webinar for the timeshare, then I think it's fine. And I would be okay with that. <laughs> you got a discount. Yeah. You can get that discount there. Uh, Trudeau. Uh, so uh, definitely good parallels there with uh, everything that's happening on both sides of the border. Um, Dave, for in, in closing, um, did get this article out um, where we tied in a little bit of pop culture. Um, this is about yes. uh, succession, the the show on um, HBO max or uh, crackle or you know, whatever you're, you're watching it on but uh, essentially making the case that the current chair of the Federal Trade Commission in the U.S., uh, Lena Khan, uh, what her attitude would be towards the uh, conglomerate that's in the program, the uh, Waystar Royco, uh, wrote this up in, in Washington Examiner. Um, essentially, I make the point that she absolutely would be after this company, but in a, a sweet yep. bit of irony, she would actually reserve most of her ire towards uh, Gojo, which is uh, this Swedish yes. platform um, again, I give away a couple of spoilers in the piece for, for those who are trying to watch, uh, which yeah. is always risky, but hey, you got to do it for the cause. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was yes. a little bit of a little bit of a fun tease. I think there's going to be more stuff. Um, a couple more mergers she'll try to stop. And uh, her office is, is not backing down from stopping um, consumers from getting cool, innovative products. Yeah. Yeah, I love the intersection of public policy and pop culture. Um, I don't in I don't in, uh, include it enough in my own writing, but yours was particularly good because I'm also a fan of Succession. So, kudos to you for that one. Yeah, and uh, we'll have a new episode um, this weekend. Uh, I think on Sunday, so we'll we'll get a new taste of the Roy clan and what's happening with the uh, the latest deals. Um, yeah, I'll let you guys catch up. So. No spoilers there, but uh, Dave, we got about a minute and a half left. Uh, anything you're looking forward to here in the next little while? Um, I'll be jetting back to Europe there for a day, and then I'll be in D.C. next week, so I'll be back in the Leviathan. Uh, so I'll catch up yep. with you then. But anything you're looking forward to? Ooh, big Mother's Day weekend here uh, in Canada, so happy Mother's Day um, to all the moms. Uh, it will be my wife's first Mother's Day, Ooh. so that's very exciting. Yeah, you better have uh, been planning something weeks in advance. Uh, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, you better, you better be working on that. Uh, yeah, definitely true. Mother Day, Mother's Day, big deal. Um, a lot of flowers, and it's definitely different when uh, you got a mother in the house. It's not just your mom. Yes. So. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah, different game. Different game. Very much a different but, game. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's it. I feel like there could be a whole show on the nuances of Mother's Day and Father's Day, but we'll have to save that for another episode. <laughs> we will indeed save that for another episode. But, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, we're coming up into summer months, you know, get to enjoy new uh, 
new outlets. I mean, you'll get to go out and um, you're a new homeowner now, so you'll be able to enjoy your your backyard and perhaps some some grilling and um, all kinds of fun stuff. And you're definitely after yeah. you've mowed the grass and stuff. <sighs> yes, which I've already had to do twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to be a good one. Have you ever thought about getting one of these uh, like robot uh, mowers? Would that be possible? Could you do that? No, the, it, I don't think it would cover the square footage. Oh, well, they're not. What a flex. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's the truth. I don't think they're designed for large spaces like that. Sorry, guys. I don't, would I don't, be cool. I don't think my I, Tesla mower would, would cover all the square footage of lawn I have in the backyard. Well, I had to fill the tank twice on the, on the, on the, uh, oh boy, you might have to go electric. Lawnmower, Who so. Knows? All right, we'll hear more about uh, David's woes and mowing the grass uh, (laughs) next week here on Consumer Choice Radio. Thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, We'll get back to you next week.